Welcome to the Veterans Perspective, presented by the Michigan Veterans Affairs Agency, with your host, Director of the MVAA, Zanetta Adams. Welcome to the Veterans Perspective. Today is June 19th, which is celebrated as Juneteenth all across the United States. June 19th, 1865 was the day that Blacks actually realized freedom in Texas. And so this has become a national, uh, really a day that we can celebrate and, and actually was proclaimed in Michigan by Governor Whitmer. Joining us today to talk about that is retired G1 Sergeant Major Jill Matthews and Councilman Scott Benson of the Detroit City Council District 3. This is a show that you don't want to miss. We're talking about culture. We're talking about uh, we're going to be having dialogue with veterans just to get their perspective, because that's what this show is all about. It's about the veterans perspective. So we want you to stick around as we get ready for a great show. So stay tuned when we return on the veterans perspective. Welcome back to the veterans perspective. Today is June 19th. And you know what that means? That means it's Juneteenth in not only the state of Michigan, but 46 other states across the country. And so joining me today to talk about Juneteenth, their experience in the military, is Jill Matthews, a retired Army G1 Sergeant Major. Thank you for joining us today, Jill. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful. You know, I today is, there's a lot going on today, right? So um, I'm, I'm so honored and pleased that I was nominated by the African-American uh, Leadership Institute for the Veteran Leader of the Year Award. And we're going to that this evening. Yes. And I'm yeah. so proud. And, and if you think about the meaning of this and where we were at in 1865 to where we are now, it just blows the mind of how far we have come and how far we have to go with recognition of you. So I am honored and humbled all in the same breath to be there. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, this is the first time they've had a veteran category um, within this award ceremony. So I'm very excited and, and humbled to be a part of it and to be a part of it on such an auspicious day. And, and you mentioned 1865, but really it goes back further than that. Right. So we talk about the Emancipation Proclamation um, issued by President Abraham Lincoln on January 1st, 1863. And, you know, I, I, I've been reading some of this information at you know, history.com and a little bit more about Juneteenth. But that was the day that was established that all enslaved people in, in Confederate states and rebellion against the Union shall be free and then thenceforth forever free. So I, I, I found it interesting that here we are, the president of the United States passes this law in 1863 and then January 1863, and it wasn't until June 19th, 1865, that freedom was realized for so many individuals, especially those in Texas. I mean, don't you find that interesting? It, but I find that it still doesn't seem like it was that far away. Well, no, because it's still current in different times, but in different organizations, in a sense. But what I find so amazing about that is that we had brothers that fought in the war, African-American soldiers that fought, but when they came back to the United States, they were not free under this guideline and really didn't get free until the 1865. So different regions 
of this earth did not allow them to be free. So that's what I think is so amazing. I think as of people in the America, they need to know the history, understand the history and define the history and, and just really tell the truth. But that, that was very uh, interesting to me that they fought, but under the guidelines for the government, when they came back, they still weren't free based on where they were at in the world. Well, and I thought, you know, it's, it's, it's really sad and unfortunate that, they're, that that feeling and sentiment of, of freedom or really free to be, just be an American after you've served is still an issue today. I mean, I think about, you know, I think about when I lived in a, a, a city in Illinois, uh, it was a predominantly white area. And I remember when we moved in here, we were both veterans, you know, disabled veterans. And, you know, we're, 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 we're waving hi, hi, Woody neighbor, you know, because, you know, in the military, we serve with all kinds of people. It's like, you know, the, the, the rainbow coalition in the military pretty yeah. much. And so, you know, we serve with all these people and here we are, you know, with our children, we are waving, saying hi to our neighbors and nobody spoke to us. Like, it was like, we were the pariahs in our community. It wasn't until one weekend when I was heading off to drill and I was in my uniform that I got a hello. Now this was months later because now I was okay. And see, that's the difference. I think that people don't realize is that when you're in uniform, you're taking, you're taking a, they look, people look at you differently, but when you take that uniform off, the values and things are still within you, but people don't see that. And so, I, so I can think about those soldiers back in 18, 1863 who are fighting the civil war, then the 1865, they become free, but are they, have they really, have they really been able to enjoy freedoms? You know, I don't think I don't think so. Just for your example, stereotypical thought process. At the end of the day, those people viewed you as who you are. You was just one step up above them because they didn't do anything to serve the country, which is everybody loves to serve the country. That is one of the most the greatest foundation here on Earth. If you can serve your country, but their core is how they really feel about you because the color of their skin. They can't relate or they don't want to relate for future and past endeavors that's within their soul. So you, you have to be mindful. The uniform carries a lot of weight because we, when we serve in the uniform and we're serving war, we're blanket so they sleep under the stars. So we keep them secure. But in a sense, you still have to know the person's core of who they are and how they feel generational and how they act. Well, and I think that society in general, we need to assume good intentions, right? If you assume that every every African-American that you meet is has a slave mentality or they have a, a poor mentality or they are, you know, uh, or, or, or they are criminal, you know, they have criminal intent then then that is how you're going to approach people until you see a uniform right and so right. we need to we need to really work on um building this coalition and looking people as looking at people as as they are so i am looking forward to continuing our conversation after this commercial break um to talk more with you jill about your service your time as a g1 sergeant major and how you did all these these great things in the military, but also as an African-American woman. So when we come back, we'll be speaking with Jill. So just wait for us and we'll be back after the commercial break.
Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. So we've been talking with Jill Matthews, uh, retired U.S. Army G1 Sergeant Major, and we were just talking about Juneteenth. And and I think, you know, as we, we talk with this phenomenal woman who happens to also be, you know, African-American, um, I, I think it's important that we talk a little bit about your journey. We talk about the 32 years of service that you had and and, and some of the things and and that, that people maybe don't see on that other side. And so please, we, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about um, your service. Why did you join the military? And uh, what was it like being a, a G1 Sergeant Major? Oh, great, wonderful. I joined the military really just to travel. You know, sometime you're in that transition where college is not for everybody at a certain time. So I really had to find myself and I joined the military. I joined the army in September uh, 1984 and I grew up in the military and I retired after 32 years of faithful service as a G1 star major. So I'm very pleased with that. Some of my experiences is just every everyday life experience with people um, where I am an African-American female because sometimes you wear the uniform and it's okay because the uniform protects us in certain ways, but it does not protect a person's true character in their core, how they feel about a race of people or a generation of people. Prime example, like sometimes I would go to meetings and as a G1 SAR major, you know, you should be sitting at the table, but you're sitting on the side. And then the G1 SAR major prior to me, he sat at the table. So I just got up and left the meeting. And I said, when y'all ready for me to sit at the table, then, you know, call me back because that was my place to sit at the table. For some reason, someone changed it around. But as a SAR major, you sit at the table to make decisions. And, and, and that's that's where I'm at. And that's where I was at in the military. Well, I think what you said is so important, not even just for those serving in the military, those women or those uh, people of color that are serving in the military, but for, for civilians as well, is, is that if you know that you're supposed to be at the table and uh, you're not at the table, then you, you need to make some type of statement, whether it be walking out and saying, you know what, you send me the meeting notes, you do all of these things, you know, um, but you're not going to get my input unless I'm sitting at the table where I belong. And so I think that's an important message to share. And it just reminds me, you know, we're talking about history, right? We're talking about 1863. And, and I know this, this play was uh, about a time before that, but we're talking, you know, Hamilton. And it makes me think of that song. I want to be in the room where it happens is one of my favorite songs, because I often think, yeah, I don't want to be standing on the sidelines. I don't want to be standing outside the door. I want to be at the table. I want to know what's going on. I want to be a part of making the change. And so when you've earned that right, as, as you have, I mean, you, you were part of the the military folks who serve are part of the elite in general, but you are part of an even smaller sect of people that were serving. So what, what percentage were you in? Uh, it's the top uh, 1% for the SAR majors in your career field. So I was blessed to, you know, move up that ladder. And I always thought to myself, once I get there, I'll never forget where I came from with leadership and guidance and, and reaching back, but having a structure because you don't get to those positions by default. And the positions that you've been selected to serve in is because of your competence, your leadership, and your fairness about everything. 
So you have to be mindful of the dynamics of the people around you because they just don't want you to be there in some cases because of who you are and what you look like. And that's just a small, small portion of the military. So I don't want people to think everybody in the military is like this because the military is grand in everything that they do, all branches of the service. But this is just my experience in different parts uh, of my growth in the military before I retired. Well, you know, you you served in this uh elite force, right? And you, you uh, made it up to the top level of enlisted branch. I mean, G1 Sergeant Major, you were over so many different things. I can only imagine because I know that women in general, African-Americans in general, uh, can sometimes uh, deal with uh, insubordination and things just because of the mere color of their skin or the gender that they, that they hold in positions of authority. Did you see some of that? Oh, definitely because of who I am, because understand the armed forces is the melting pot. Everybody come into the armed forces for a specific reason. It doesn't make a difference. And we don't know your background of what your family did and what you grew up and how you believe. But some people believe women shouldn't be in charge or you shouldn't take direction from women. And I had that experience. But one good thing about the military, when it comes to insubordination, we have counseling statements, we have Article 15s, we have court martials to keep everybody in guidance, in good order and discipline with the armed forces. That's the protection that we have to keep everybody doing what they were supposed to do in building a cohesive unit in a cohesive team. However, it's a little bit different when you get outside of the uniform. Yeah, you know, I can only imagine, you know, and I, I know I was talking about that story earlier about, you know, being in this predominantly white neighborhood and, you know, being looked at differently until I had a uniform on. But that's the same thing. We, you know, when you serve and especially when you serve 32 years, uh, you know, there's something behind it. You you believe in your country. You believe in what you're supporting. You believe that you're supporting and defending and protecting the Constitution. And so to take your uniform off and not feel as though you're getting access to all the benefits and and, and, and opportunities that you're you've stood on the line and signed up and volunteered to protect. That's got to be disheartening. I mean, have you experienced any of that? disheartenment or, you know, the feelings that, you know, what am I, you know, sometimes am I spinning my wheels? What am I doing here? Well, actually, yes, I have, because understanding generational, they really don't see that many females. Now we're all over, but when you look at the overall armed forces, it's not that many females that's in key positions. So when you come back into what we call the civilian world, not military dominant, it's more of a male thing where they're getting in this. So they don't believe that you should have it or that you served in a capacity that they didn't serve. And generations ago, we didn't. But the benefits are the same. You know, even going back to when my sons was in high school and grade school, I was a single parent. And um, I used to go to my son's game just in civilian clothes. You know, people gave me looks like, what are they doing? What is she doing here? And it was a very nice, decent neighborhood. So is she on government assistance? Why is she there? It's not until I went to a basketball game with my son and I had on my uniform 
and they start recognizing and speaking to me. But once again, those were the same person or persons that didn't speak to me before or just gave me a different kind of look. And you can feel that. Now when the uniform, they want to talk and communicate with me. However, they are the same person that, that that's the same core. That's the same reason or stereotype why they did not speak to me at first. So what am I supposed to do? I know your core and I know your character. And, and that needs to change that. I mean, but it needs to change for the person, but not for the community. You cannot make a person change. They have to want to change. So you have to acknowledge and recognize a lot of things. And the military, pretty much the same way. You got people for all walks, but everybody is not like that. I enjoyed my 32 years. I had more good days than I had bad days. And I'm blessed every time you know I think about it. And I still have soldiers reach out to me. And uh, it was just a joy. And I was, I'm proud to be a veteran and serve the United States Army for 32 years. Well, you know, it, it just makes me think about what those uh, veterans who served in Civil War were thinking about when they came home and people looked at them sideways and didn't really care that they had served our country in battle. All they cared about was whether they were slaves or not. So, you know, after the commercial break, we'll be talking a little bit more with Jill about she is a veteran and the rest of her journey. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. We've been speaking with Jill Matthews, who is a phenomenal woman, female veteran, you know, African-American pioneer who really, uh, you know, led in the military for 32 years. And we've just been talking about, you know, the correlation between, you know, Juneteenth and some of those things that were occurring right after the Civil War and after Abraham Lincoln signed that proclamation. And, you know, before the commercial break, we were talking about how those soldiers, you know, just imagining those folks who came back to Texas and and any other state that was a part of it that could not even get the very freedoms that they fought for and were promised um, then, but then also how people looked at them as nothing but a slave or nothing but a, a degenerate when they came back after serving this, this country and how, you know, over a hundred years later, it seems like that's still going on. And so that, that has to leave some type of impact on those who stand up. And, and, and what I heard in your story, Jill, was, you know, part of what you talked about was that you, you stood up for these values and you, 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 you protected and, and served your, your soldiers and everyone else that you worked with. But sometimes when people look at us outside of our, our uniform, they don't see that. They don't see that honor. They don't see that valor. They don't see those, those military values. And so, you know, in the military and, and, and even beyond as a civilian out, you know, when you walked out the door out, outside of your uniform, how did you, how did you cope with that? How did you determine that, you know, I'm going to serve 32 years despite me not necessarily always getting access to those uh, freedoms that I, that I serve under? Well, because when I raised my hand and took that oath to serve, 
that's what I that's what I took pride in doing. You can't account for other people's stereotypes, their bias, and how they feel. But it's important that as an individual, you can recognize and see that in a person so you can move on, you know, so you know how that person is. But for me, I was going to continue taking care of and doing what I was doing while wearing that uniform for all, regardless to where they came from in the world and their gender. So I was very, very proud to do that. And, and I still stand solid on 32 years of taking care of soldiers, defending our country and doing it very proudfully. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, you know, there's been controversial subjects out there and, you know, you just, when you said that, you just made me think of the fact that, you know, there are so many people that, you know, they've, they've knelt, they've sat, you know, for the national anthem. And, you know, we, we have, you know, we, we took an oath to the military and, and while we are African-American um, veterans for myself, and I can speak for myself as an African-American veteran, I still stand for the national anthem. I actually sing the national anthem because it means something different to me than just the, 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 the oppressions that I know that myself and other people have have gone through. And I do that because, you know, I have this pride in service. I have this pride of what I've protected and that I know that I will take it to my grave, protecting and helping and advocating for those less fortunate than me. But I also don't look down on anybody who decides to do that because those are the very freedoms that I stood up for. And I'd love to hear your take on that. Well, I think that's, that is excellent. That is a good mindset to have because you're not responsible for every other individuals because you don't know their experience. You're responsible for what you do and what you took an oath to do, and that was to serve the country. Freedom of everything based on the military guidelines. So we can't be accountable for what other people's beliefs are. We have to support them based on what we believe in and what we took a, a oath on. But I, I go back to 1865. Could you imagine fighting and winning and, and having such a pride in yourself as a person, as a generation, as a race, and you come back and you get treated less than and thrown in your face. But it's called recruit, reject, recruit. As long as you can help and they can benefit from you, they're going to recruit you. But when it's all over, now they're rejecting you. And uh, that that's that's a lot. And it's still going on. It's more prevalent now because we can see it and we can talk about it. But could you imagine our ancestors back then just fighting for everything that they had and then come back and get, get dismissed like they're nothing, like they're, they're still slaves. So that was that troubles me when I think about it. But then in the same breath, I get a little happy because look who we are today. You're receiving an award for your recognition and positions that you hold and other women held around here, just veterans in general. So I'm very, very proud of the experience, the good and the bad. But the key thing is you have to acknowledge and you have to know and recognize it in the person that you're talking to and in your surroundings for you to move forward. You know, that's exactly right. And I think that, I think what you've really kind of encompassed and, and captured as hope, right? You know, there is this war, you know, within when you are 
an African-American soldier, airman, you know, Marine, you know, Coast Guard, uh, men, seaman, whatever, there, there, is, there is this pride in your service and being part of this elite group. But then there's also the compassion around your experience and the experience that your family members that you also signed up to protect are going through. So, but what I heard was that there's hope there's continued hope that when we continue to have these conversations and we have these dialogues and we, we have this radio show where people can hear about those experiences from people who have lived them and understand that this is why we have to continue to, to, to press forward and do the right thing and live those values out with no matter who we're dealing with. I think that's where, that's where the hope can continue to shine. And so speaking of hope, I wanted to touch on before we wrap up uh, with you today, on your She is a Veteran experience. So last week was Women Veterans Recognition Day. You know, we we, we had some clips playing from some of the uh, She is a Veteran uh, individuals or participants last week. And then we're ha- we have you on the show today. But you were, your story was featured a few, uh, a few months ago. And I would love to hear your experience since that show was featured. I mean, I mean, like you're a little rock star right now, right? <laughs> Yes, I am. I felt that I was a celebrity. I walked into the post office and one lady said, I saw you. You you want she's a veteran. That was so good. And it touched me in so many ways about your experience. And uh, I went another place and everybody's like, oh, I saw you or I heard it. And it just gave me joy because I was just one part of this team. But what you guys did that was so great, you got women, all different uh, generations, all different races, all different branches of service, and all different experiences. And you you spread it over the state of Michigan. And I just thought that was wonderful because it did bring more awareness that there is a lot of women veterans. You have to identify if you served, you are a veteran. So uh, very grateful and humbled to be a part of that team. And yeah, I felt like a rock star, a celebrity, bougies up. You know, I was very excited. <laughs> well, you are a rock star. And, and I will say, you know, I'm, I'm so uh, blessed and thankful to call you friend. Um, you know, for anyone out there listening, y- you need that right person around you who will continue to encourage you even through the dark times. And we may go through dark times for many different reasons, whether it be emotionally for something that happened on the outside um, that, that we can't control, something physical, health-wise, whatever the case is, but you should always surround yourself with, with good people. And I, I thank you for being a good person, Jill. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Well, you know, and I want to thank you again for taking your time out to be a part of this show today. I hope that it resonates with our listeners and and that you will continue to shine in your communities, in your community that you're in, because you served and you're continuing to serve. Oh, thank you. Well, we'll be enjoy. (laughs) Thanks. And so we'll be right back after the commercial break on the Veterans Perspective. Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective, presented by the Michigan Veterans Affairs Agency. 
Now back to your host, director of the MVAA, Zanetta Adams. Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. I am your host, Zanetta Adams, director of the Michigan Veterans Affairs Agency. And we've been talking about Juneteenth and the significance of that and, and speaking with veterans about their service. And so I wanted to bring on this next guest um, who has an amazing career uh, in the Coast Guard, which is an area we don't hear from Coast Guard members much. And so this is really exciting. I have uh, Scott Benson is joining us today. He serves as the Detroit City Council person for District 3. He's a frequent bike rider and a sustainability advocate um, who has been a tireless leader and innovative leader in his community since January 2014. With over 20 years of experience, 28 to be exact, as a Coast Guard officer, 05, achieving the rank of commander and serving in two overseas deployments, he is no stranger to hard work, sacrifice, and devotion to duty. He sees his role in the Detroit City Council as an extension of his life's work of service to his family, country, and community. Welcome to the show, Councilman Benson. It is an honor and privilege to be here. How are you today? I am doing fabulous. And, you know, I you're joining us on Juneteenth. Some exciting things have been happening. You know, before we jump into, you know, uh, talking about some of those exciting things, I would love to hear more about your service. Uh, Coast Guard member. I mean, I mean, what was that yeah. like? I mean, you like water, huh? <laughs> so, and, I, and I'm not the best swimmer, but I can swim. But okay. ironically for me, so my grandfather, he also served um, in the U.S. Army uh, during World War II. So, I mean, service was part of my blood. I always wanted to be in the military, uh, but I, I wasn't, I didn't want to carry a gun. So I thought that my moral compass, the Coast Guard best suited me. So we were about saving lives versus taking them. Although a later date when my Coast Guard career ended, I was a, a gun carrier. So, and that's not the typical role for the U.S. Coast Guard, although we have been in every conflict in the United States. We're the oldest continuous seagoing service established in 1790, and we have been in every U.S. war. Our bread and butter is saving lives, which is what I thought I was going to be doing for my career, but I ended up being in expeditionary warfare and going overseas, playing the sand and playing with guns. So I ended up really enjoying that part of the Coast Guard and really enjoyed my time there. And the Coast Guard, the main reason I got there was because I needed somebody to pay for undergrad. And so the Coast Guard had a great program. Uh, there were very few of us in the Coast Guard period. We have um, fewer Coasties in the country than we have uh, in the, the New York City Police Department. And there were very few of us, people that look like me. And so the program, they needed the program to help encourage young black uh, students to come into the Coast Guard and be officers. And so I joined that program. And 28 years later, I finally retired. Well, you know, that is one of the things I was going to ask you, like, you know, I assume, you know, there we, we have smaller numbers um, in the military in general um, among uh, African-Americans. But then in the Coast Guard, I mean, we're talking about water. You're talking about life saving. You know, I mean, I just I remember the movies of people jumping in, into the ocean and pulling people out, all of those different things. And so I can imagine we don't have a lot of uh, African-Americans in the Coast Guard. And we're just typically not exposed to it. So many of us have family members who are in the Navy or in the Army or the Air Force, but not many people even know where you could find a Coast Guard base, let alone know about the service. And so it was an opportunity for me. Um, no one in my family had known about the Coast Guard. I mean, you're right. You see in the movies every now and then, 
but it was just a great opportunity. And so we didn't have, we, they have the lowest numbers of minorities and or women in the OCOR back then than any of the other services by percentage. And so I was part of the uh, effort to uh, better integrate and diversify the U.S. Coast Guard OCOR and wow. the ranks in general. Wow, that, that's amazing. You know, just that in of itself, being willing to, to make that sacrifice and, 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 and be the example to lead, you know, to lead from the front, that's, that's pretty amazing. And I know that you're doing that in the, the Detroit City Council right now. But I would just ask before we kind of um, jump onto what you're doing in the community and, and the impact, like, what would you tell people to encourage them, like, to, so we can diversify the Coast Guard? Like, mm-hmm. what would be your... What would be your 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 elevator speech to to let people know that this is a great opportunity? Do they, do they have to know how to swim right off the bat? Like, <laughs> you do, and I think in every service you probably have to know how to swim at least at a basic level. Um, but it's just a great opportunity. And so when people talk about any of the other services, I always tell people give the Coast Guard a good look. And no, you're not going to be on an aircraft carrier, and no, you're not going to fly an F-15 jet. But we have U.S. Coast Guard cutters, and we actually know how to sail our ships. We have cutterman's pins. <laughs> um, we actually we have aviation uh, rescue men, survival men. So those those are the ones that jump out of the helicopters in the 26 um, foot seas to rescue people. So we also have our sexy, dangerous work as well. Um, we've got pilots. Uh, we have, I mean, we have all numbers of jobs and specialties, and we serve all over the world. And it's just a small professional seagoing service. And so while you may go into other services for the the lure of adventure, you can get the same thing in the U.S. Coast Guard as well. And if your moral compass is more about saving lives and taking, we're a good good fit for you. Yeah, that's that's amazing information. And, you know, even if you've served in the Coast Guard, one of the things I was thinking as you were talking is that, you know, I think about a lot of different branches of service and, and types of jobs that, you know, uh, there are certain disabilities that, that are kind of automatically inherent within that job. Like when you're thinking about folks who jump from planes, you know, knee injuries and back mm-hmm. injuries, those are kind of inherent mm-hmm. with the job. Are there things that you can think of that we have veterans out there who may not be taking access, uh, you know, may, may not be accessing their benefits um, that they may want to check out with the VA that um, may be inherent with the job as serving as a Coast Guardsman? Um, and, and so depending on the job that you have, I mean, in most of my friends who had done some type of overseas service, they have some type of disability. And I was unaware that you need to go uh, take your service record and your medical record and go to the VA and talk about that. Say, hey, I still have pain here or pain there. If you were underway and maybe you um, have problems with your back as a direct result of uh, banging in the small boats. And that takes a huge toll when you're banging on the waves going out in rough seas in those small boats. I mean, there are any number of issues. Um, hearing loss, if you're a gunner's mate and your job was to train all the coasties to uh, shoot and stay proficient in their weapons. I mean, there are just so many different um, service-related injuries and or disabilities that people have. And you may say, I'm too tough. I don't want to go to a doctor. I don't need that. I mean, that, that's something that you're entitled to. That's just not something that you have a right to. You're entitled to those benefits. And so take advantage of it. You sacrifice for your country. Your country has uh, money set aside to support you um, as you um, age gracefully. I concur with that, Councilman Benson. Absolutely, 100%. And we're here to help at the MVAA as well. Um, Finally, I want to talk about, you know, this being June 19th. There's a lot going on across the state. It's been proclaimed Juneteenth by the governor. And I know that Mm -hmm. Detroit is is doing some amazing things today. Can you tell us what's going on? 
Oh, yeah. So today we, Detroit City Council, um, one of my colleagues, uh, she established, she brought in a resolution to support reparations for Detroit residents um, who may have faced discrimination and other um, life-threatening or or stressful situations as a direct result of uh, racism and just a history of, uh, of slavery. Um, we're looking at that. We're going to establish a, um, a task force to look at how we can provide reparations to the descendants of slaves in the city of Detroit. Uh, we also have a number of celebrations. I mean, Juneteenth is also a celebration. It, it celebrates the, uh, the emancipation and the ending of the war and the granting of freedom as a direct result of the Civil War. And so my own, my office, we're hosting a unveiling of Tuskegee Airmen statues at the Detroit uh, City Airport. We're partnering with the Tuskegee Airmen. We're having a cultural event on Saturday morning. We're having a bike ride through the district as well as a martial arts demonstration and a drumming demonstration by Akibalon Village. We're having spoken word. We're having live music. We're having food. Um, and so we're just doing, um, we're having a celebration just to explain the culture and have demonstrations to uh, celebrate the history of our people and the uh, people who are descendants of slaves in the United States. Very cool. So people can find out more information on your website or your Facebook page. On my Facebook page. Please go to the Facebook page. Awesome. Is that Detroit Councilman City Council? Scott Benson. Councilman Scott Benson. Councilman Scott Benson. Vote nice. Councilman Scott Benson. Nice. All right. So you know where to find out that information. I'm sure you're interested in learning more about reparations. Thank you so much, Councilman Benson, for joining us today. Thank you for hosting me. I appreciate it. It's an honor and a privilege. Thank you. And so just uh, as a reminder, you can find out more information at 1-800-MISHVET. That's 1-800-642-4838. You can visit some of the Facebook pages that we've talked about today, or you can uh, go to our website, michigan.gov backslash MVAA. Thank you so much to all of our guests today, and we will see you next week on The Veterans Perspective.